Hello, friends. This is Dave Pasqualone with the Remarkable People Podcast, Season 2, Episode 3, The Max Ivy Story. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen. Do. Repeat. For life. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the moment you've been waiting for, the Max Ivy story. Max is a remarkable human. He was born with a degenerative eye disease where he was told from a child that you will be blind. He grew up in a circus family, traveling and working in the circus And then he tried to get, quote unquote, a real job, went to college, got a gig with the IRS and said, I'd rather be poor and struggling than doing something I hate. But he didn't stop there because the man continued to grow and to learn and to evolve. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a podcaster and so much more. So ladies and gentlemen, hang on. You are about to hear Maxwell Ivey's story on the Remarkable People podcast. Before we begin, thank you for being here. Grab your pen and paper. Remember, we're not just here to be entertained, but take the notes, figure out what you can learn from this, and then apply it to life. Like the slogan says, listen, do, repeat for life. We love you. If you need anything, let us know. A special thank you to our sponsor this episode, Pam Heinold. Beautiful Pensacola, Florida. If you are in this area, you're looking for a home to move, a place to rent, you have a place you need to rent, you want a beach house, you want an investment property, call Pam. Pam is a remarkable realtor, so much so that she just won Realtor of the Year for her agency in Pensacola, Florida. And I don't want to say they're the biggest, but I think they're the biggest. I need to verify that, but I know out of all the agents and all the people, Pam came in number one again for Real to the Year. So, ladies and gentlemen, Pam Heinold, Better Homes and Garden Real Estate, Pensacola, Florida. If you're looking to move to this amazing community, give Pam a call. And now, let's get on with the show. Hey, it's so good to have you here today, Max. I'm so excited to share your story. So, when you're ready, brother, do it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Max Ivy story. <laughs> I'm going to tell y'all the my 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 story from a long time ago till recently. But the once I get through with that, I'm going to tell you about maybe uh, a segment of say about 18 months in the last year or so that was especially trying. How I got through it and how I was able to stay positive through it because um, it tested me in ways I hadn't been tested before. Even though I even though I should. Um, should have you know i i felt like i had been through some stuff before this but um there's from let's say the end of eight of 2018 to the well just a few weeks ago was a really hard stretch so for those of y'all who don't know me i'm i'm maxwell ivy i'm known around the world as the blind blogger i host a podcast called what's your excuse uh i grew up in a family of carnival owners in the houston texas area I also grew up knowing eventually I would lose my vision to retinitis pigmentosa, otherwise known as as RP. 
my family raised me to be optimistic, adventuresome, to believe there wasn't anything I couldn't do if I decided I wanted to and worked hard enough at it. Uh, I had a dad who was a great storyteller, a very positive-minded person in his own right, a guy who lived his life by um, when challenges came up and people would ask him how he overcame those challenges, he would say, what, did we have an excuse? And so I was raised around people like that. My grandmother, my father, uh, my grandfather on the other side of the family, they were positive, uh, hardworking people in the carnival business, which is a very difficult way to make a living. It's the kind of world where nobody cares anything about you. All they want to know is on Thursday or Friday night, can they buy a funnel cake and can they ride the Ferris wheel? That's, they care nothing about your life or what you went through to get open. So it teaches you to be adaptable, to be flexible, to be per- determined, positive, and persevering. Also, as the years went by, I lost more and more, more and more of my vision. I had to adapt to different ways of doing things in school and later in college and then later in the family business. Uh, I've gone from regular print books, which I love reading, to large text, to using a closed-circuit monitor that put the text up on a big screen, uh, to audiobooks, to Braille. And then also I've gone from a manual typewriter to electric typewriter to uh, computer keyboards and now smartphones, although I'm still kind of lagging behind on the tablets and stuff. But those all taught me adaptability. When your vision is changing and the way you do things changes, sometimes on a daily basis, you don't get used to having a lot of uh, a lot of time in a comfort zone. It's like you're always having to change or learn something new. So lots of great lessons for later in life. I went to college, got a real job for the, with the IRS, did telephone collections for two and a half years, hated it, finally decided that being broke and a carnival owner was better than being uh, middle uh, uh, middle income at a, at a job where the checks came every week. So I went back to the family business. I worked alongside my dad. I helped build the business over 15 years. After his death, the... Business was slowly going out of business, so I started a website called The Midway Marketplace, where I still help people buy and sell surplus amusement equipment. I figured I had helped us sell stuff because we couldn't buy newer stuff unless we sold the older stuff, and I thought I could do that, but I didn't have a clue. I didn't have the first clue what it would take to be an online business owner, especially not in 2007, which was before Wi-Fi, WordPress, or Facebook. It was really the early days of MySpace, if any of y'all remember them. I had to, like I said, I had to learn how to build my own website, recruit clients, set fees, write copy, manage media, and a whole bunch of other stuff I had never done before. And I basically did that by just taking one job that was the most important thing that I needed to do that day, working on it, figuring out how to do it, asking for help, finding people who knew how to do it, who could tell me how to do it, uh, copying and pasting. Uh, computer code into my website from from people who said, I can't teach you. I'll just let you borrow my code. Um, and at one time, I uh, I did my website in still back in the days when it was an HTML. My website was hideous. It was, it was ugly. Um, as a blind person should never pick their colors because I, I picked yellow for the background, blue for the text, red for the link text, <laughs> orange for the previously clicked link text, and so it, it, I would later find out that the yellow was an ice cream of yellow, that the blue was navy, that the red was a dark brick red, that the orange was a fluorescent orange, like something off the side of a dive bar. 
And more than once, people have told me, Max, your website was so bright, Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder could have argued over it. I mean, uh, <laughs> I usually get a bigger laugh than that. I must have told the story too quickly this time. Um, but I've, No, no, no. It's but, the new mic, man. It's, yeah, it's, it's just new muted. Mic? Okay. All right. But... I've, I did what, you know, I did what I had learned throughout my life. I focused on what I could do instead of what I couldn't do, which was, uh, I said, okay, the website's as good as I can make it now without a lot of money to pay somebody to do it and without trusting somebody with my new baby. So I'm going to focus on asking people if they'll let me sell their rides, uh, selling their rides and getting paid for selling their rides. So that's what I did. As a result, I was able to sell hundreds of thousands of, of dollars worth of amusement equipment on five continents so far. Um, and it was because I focused on what I could do something about at that time, figuring, hey, somewhere down the road, I'll fix the website. And because of that, it worked. So I'm doing that, and people are like, you know, Max, you have a great story. We think there's you have a more important story than just helping sell carnival rides. And after two years of people, including some close friends, telling me that, I finally decided, okay, I'll start a second website, I'll start sharing my story of being a blind, a blind entrepreneur. Um, sometimes my text editor will, will put blonde instead of blind, and I have to correct that because it confuses people. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll do that. I started a second website called <laughs> theblindblogger.net where I do share what's going on in my life, how, uh, how I get through things. Uh, there's a lot of posts on there about things that went wrong and the the positive things that came out of them and how I managed to get through the experience and find the positive lesson. Um, I've been told that a lot of my stories involve me getting into getting into trouble and then somehow finding my way out of it. And so if y'all need a positive read, there's plenty of that over there. Um, that led to uh, three books so far. Uh, I've done over 200 podcast interviews. I now help people get booked on podcasts and radio shows. I've traveled the country solo, uh, first as a winner of the Amtrak Writer in Residence Prize, and then later on my own. I sing in public, so far not arrested. And uh, I have my own podcast now called the What's Your Excuse Show. So that's Max, and it's, uh, there's a lot to the story. And if you want, I can give you a pause here, and you can follow up on some of the things I mentioned, or I can get to the, the issue that I wanted to share with people over the last year or so that has really tried me in a way that I, I hadn't been before then. Yeah, absolutely. Let's unpack a lot of this. You have such a remarkable story. And as the listeners know, the format of our show is we go through your past, the specific obstacles you've had to overcome, and then the practical steps, how you did it. And I found it very interesting that you said your dad was an adapt and overcome mentality, take charge, positive guy. Um, that seems like it really affected who you are today as a man and your ability to adapt and overcome. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, I've had people tell me it's not just that, that there are many things that uh, that I attribute to him and that I, uh, there are many things that I say that I credit to him. And they, uh, so it's it's like he's he's still with me and... In some respects, I do a lot of things based on, well, what would, what would he have done? And uh, would he be proud of what I'm doing now? And one of the things he always did at the end of every year is, is he would always say, this year was okay, but we got to do something different next year. So I think he would really approve of the fact of how I've gone from, you know, being part of a carnival owning family to trying to keep that business alive to selling amusement equipment, and then to realizing, okay, so I can be a writer. 
Um, I think one of the things he may have regretted in his life is at one point, uh, he took a job as an extra in the movie Urban Cowboy. And when we were, we were at a location for two or three weeks on a shopping center. So he took the job. Um, when we were, when it was time for us to move to the next location, they tried to get him to stay and to continue being in the movie. And he said, no, I've got to, I've got to get the equipment to the next town. I've got to support the family. And, uh, I think that, you know, he might nowadays, if he looked at what I've done, I think he might ask him, what if I had decided to be an actor at that point instead of being a carnival owner? So I think he would appreciate the way I've adapted because that was pretty much how he did things. That's awesome. Now, how long was it when you guys were actively in the carnival business and traveling? How old were you at that point? Okay. I started when my grandmother and grandfather had a, had a carnival and my mom and dad were on their show. And uh, they've got pictures of me being uh, carried around on the midway at three. Uh, I can remember working in my grandmother's cotton candy stand at five. Uh, I can remember working the midway games at nine to 10, 11, 12. <clears throat> and uh, I went to college, got a real job. So maybe about uh, seven or eight years, I was out of the business. And then from 1993 to 2006 or 2007, uh, was still actively traveling with the carnival, even though at that time it was my uncle's carnival, not our show. So, you know, I would say about 15 years is accurate at that uh, as part of our own carnival, you know. Wow. Now, when you were traveling, you said you made a comment that I've always wondered about. You said it's very, I don't want to use the wrong word, but you said people only care about themselves, the next funnel cake, the next ride. Um, within the carnival with other workers and other people who are players in the show, did you guys have a camaraderie and get along or was it really just isolated and lonely? Everybody worked and then went back to their, their trailer. <laughs> um, it, it, um, it was both. When it was our family show, everything was very family-oriented. There were many of the people who worked for us um, were almost like family. And, you know, when things didn't go right, sometimes instead of paying them, we'd feed them. You know, sometimes instead of, uh, of them getting paid, they would, they would live in a trailer in our yard sometimes. So in our business, it was very family-oriented. Now, uh, when we joined up with my uncle's carnival, his was much more of a business atmosphere, and people basically worked. And at the end of the night, they went back to their trailers, or if they were the type that had motel rooms, they'd go back to their rooms, and they'd only associate with themselves. And, you know, that's what it's gotten to be more and more, because there are very few small carnivals left like ours. Um, we never had more than a seven or eight rides. We never had more than four or five games. Uh, we never had more than one food trailer. So for us, it was uh, very much family and wasn't uncommon for people who booked in with our show with other games or straight sales booths that they would park their trailers in our yard during the winter. Now, when you are doing this, just you're being trained from the beginning of your childhood, how to be an entrepreneur and how to look for opportunity and how to close sales. Transitioning into when you decide to launch the website and you decide to start that first business. What were the you know the voices in our head that we all have that tell us we can't do it or we we you know oh this isn't going to happen or the naysayers that that are around us. How do you mentally go through that process of dealing with those people and those thoughts? All right, I've 
I'm going to explain a little bit here. I'm very lucky or was very lucky with the Midway Marketplace because it was only after I had built it to a certain point that people that I started hearing from the naysayers. Because when I started, I'm like, okay, I'm brand new to this. I've never done it before. Um, where do I start? And the first thing you have to have if you're going to sell rides is you have to have people that will list their rides with you. So I started with people that I knew or that people I knew knew my dad. And I reached out to them personally on the phone and asked them about listing their equipment. And at this point, they had to actually mail me photos of their rides because this was you know, this was before everybody had email and cell phones. So, you know, some people had cell phones, but the idea of, you know, just messaging somebody pictures and video was a long way in the future. So I was building the website and not really running into a lot of interaction with, uh, with people who would be the naysayers. It was only after I got, I started making some sales and I really started uh, promoting the website and started recruiting clients outside of my friends and family that I ran into the naysayers. And this is how this happened. In 2008, 2009, 2010, there were multiple free sites where people didn't have to pay a dime to list their equipment for sale because these sites had either uh, sponsorships or they were finance companies and they were making their money off of the financing of the rides and games that they were selling. So after a while, gotcha. I started reaching out to people who didn't know me. And their first thing was, okay, who the heck are you? We don't know who the heck you are. You're a new guy. And then after that, it was, you want me to pay you what? Um, I can list my rides somewhere else for free. And eventually I would, uh, would have to tell them, yeah, sure, you can list your rides for free. The question is, um, is the site where you're going to list them, are people going to see your rides? Are your rides going to be hidden by hundreds or thousands of other listings? Are you going to be, are people going to be distracted by ads for stuff that has nothing to do with the amusement industry? And uh, I would have to have that conversation over and over again about how I expected to get paid a percentage of the sale when a ride or game was sold. And then uh, once I got done with the U.S. market, I had to have those conversations all over again with people from other countries where, oh, by the way, um, in the U.S., I can charge somebody 10% of a sale. In the U.K., Europe, and Australia, I can only charge somebody 5% of the sale because even commission brokers, that's all they charge. And so trying to get people to pay me a commission higher than people in their, in their local area are charging them just won't work. But I did have to have a lot of those conversations and explain to them, hey, I'm building an email list. I'm promoting the heck out of the website. People are actually going to see your equipment if you list it with me. And that should be worth you paying me when I make the sale. But I, it, it, took, it took a long time. But like I say, I built the website. I was totally focused on doing the next thing in front of me, getting the site to run, figuring out how to add links, figuring out how to add people's equipment so that so that it could get seen. Because if they can't see it, they can't fall in love with it. And until they fall in love with it, they're not going to buy it. So I, I worked really hard on that in the first couple of years. And it was only after I started trying to get clients outside of my friends and family that I started running into the naysayers. But at that point, I had already made a couple of pretty important sales. I had already sold an Astroliner, which is a big simulator from the 70s. Uh, from an from an owner in Kansas to a buyer in, in Sydney, Australia. And when you sell a ride that crosses the ocean, that does a lot for your confidence. So 
combination of just <laughs> yeah i'm sure <laughs> yeah it i was very confident until the guy sent me a sent me a letter saying mr ivy um i've decided that i'm going to take the cost of getting the ride from kansas to long beach california out of your end and you know then i had to think about contracts and making clear exactly how much i was going to get paid and and how that was going to be figured so my five thousand dollar check ended up being a a $1,500 check, because that's how much it costs to get a ride, a tractor trailer load from, Can- from, from Kansas to Long Beach. But, you know, in the beginning, oh, wow. in the beginning, just focusing on doing the work and not paying attention to anybody but me or people who could help me. Uh, then as it grew, ignoring the naysayers and explaining the value of what I was doing, because I knew my value, which is something very, something a lot of people don't know. It's something that I'm not as good at. As a podcaster, as a author, as a coach, you know, I'm I'm great at knowing my value when it comes to selling somebody's ride because well, I grew up in that business. But when it comes to figuring out how much I should charge somebody for a book, I'm lost. Yeah, and I was listening to you. You said this with a website, and you said this with this online business. Different, um, forgive me, I lost the word. But you were talking about different parts of the business and different parts of your life. But both times, you just did. You're a doer. You do it, and then you figure it out as you go. And if you make mistakes, you're willing to accept it. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. Yeah. Well, I make lots of mistakes. Um, I tell people it's easier to make mistakes, and it's easier to get up after you make them when you've spent as much time on your back as I have in my lifetime. You know, those of us who have made lots of mistakes and done the next thing, we get much better at overcoming those mistakes. You know, so and. Recently, I was talking to a friend who had interviewed one of the really great uh, opera stars. I think it may have been Pavarotti or or, um, uh, Carrera. And she asked them how they performed in front of thousands of people. And they said, as long as you're on mission, as long as you stay on task and focus on what you're doing and why you're doing it, you can block all that other stuff out. And I think when it comes to just doing stuff, one of the things that's a real advantage to me is the fact that I have uh, lost my vision. So like when I'm out in public or when I'm walking to the, to a microphone to talk or when I'm working on a, working on a book on my laptop, I've got to be so focused in on what information I can receive because I can't see it that I don't really have a lot of room. Most of the time, I don't have a lot of room for, for fear, for anxiety, for the what ifs. Now I will admit to every so often Getting getting caught in that, am I good enough uh, loop? And when it happens, uh, sometimes it lasts for minutes and sometimes it'll last half a day. But I usually just go to people I know really well and go, here's what I'm thinking and here's why I'm feeling this. And, you know, they will usually help me figure it out. So like, for uh, for example, recently I've, I, I lucked into the opportunity to interview John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. And for half a day, I was like, I am so unworthy. I am not, you know, I do not deserve to interview this God of the podcasting world. Uh, but eventually my friends were said, you know, Max, you are just as much a rock star as he is. You have a more powerful story than he could have, not knowing what his is. You know, my friends want, want to have my back. And as long as you remember, you are a special person with a great story and you have every right to interview him and even more important people than him, you'll be fine. And so with help from friends and uh, listening to the people I knew would, would tell me straight, 
I was able to get past this recent experience of where I really didn't feel like I knew what the heck I was doing or like I belonged. And now I'm dealing a lot, a lot better with the whole issue of, of belonging, of feeling like I deserve to be at the mic or at the table or on the stage. And it's not one of those things I'll totally get past. It's one of those things I'll probably have trouble with again in the future, but it's, you know, it's a reminder to me of two things. One is that whenever you're having trouble, if you've got great friends, ask them for help. If you don't have great friends, go find you some friends and you're welcome to reach out to me and make, make me one of your friends if that helps you so that you can move forward on your path. And the other thing is, is it's the other, the other part of it is it, it's a line that I try to remind myself and sometimes I forget it. It's from the second Star Wars movie of the first three where Yoda tells Luke, uh, to lift the X-Wing, and Luke says, I can't, it's too big. And Yoda says, there is no big or small, there only is. And sometimes I forget that line, yeah. but as long as I remember that line, I can usually handle the feelings of, you know, of not really being good enough for the situation or the situation being bigger than me. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. So if I heard you correctly, and for the listeners, you're basically saying that everybody has doubts that they're in their mind, but when you start hearing those and feeling them, then you're going to go around to people you love and trust and you're going to get that encouragement and the refocus and, and then go back and just do it and don't look back. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. When in doubt, either ask for help or just do the next thing that you know you need to be doing. And that sounds really easy. Um, you know, but there are days when you're like, eh, I don't want to. But we all know what it is we need to be doing. You know, somebody that needs to lose weight knows what knows that they need to change their diet or their exercise or drink more water. You know, uh, somebody that wants to get a college degree knows first they have to get their high school degree or first they have to sign up for a course or, or e even before that, figure out what it is that they're passionate about. You know, we we all generally know what it is we need to be doing. And if we don't, there are lots of people out there who will help you. And this is one of the things I, I always like to make sure I, I discuss this because it's important and it's something that I find it really helps free up people in the area of asking for help. And that is, there's nothing, nothing feels better than when you do something for somebody else, especially if that somebody else is, um, is lesser than you, is somebody who really can do nothing for you but say thank you. So what I like to, to remind people of is when you refuse to ask for help, you rob the other person of the joy they would have received from helping you. And, you know, me, I was raised knowing I'd lose my vision. So I was, I was raised, don't ever be afraid to ask for help because people will want to help you and you'll get in more trouble than if you don't ask. But I know most people who can see are raised thinking, if you don't do it all by yourself, there's something wrong with you. And I personally don't believe that. I think that life is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be a team sport. You know, if we're podcasting or blogging or whatever, we're not intended to do all of that stuff by ourselves. And it's so much more enjoyable and it happens so much faster if you let other people come along on the journey. But, you know, most people are raised that it's bad. You're weak. You're less than, than dirt if you have to ask other people for help. The other side of that, though, is there are people like me and you and many others who have spent a lot of time learning things uh, or becoming really good at a skill and Nothing makes us happier than somebody coming along sincerely asking for our help saying, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I know you know all about this. Could you please help me? Nothing makes you feel better than when somebody does that sincerely. So, uh, yeah, when things aren't going great, 
If you have friends, ask them for help. If you don't have friends, go find friends. If you're afraid to ask for help, then one of the things I love doing is helping people ask. Yeah, and that reminds me of, did you ever hear the Bible verse, as, as iron sharpeneth iron, so the man a countenance of his friend? Yes, I have heard that. I hadn't thought about that before. I just kept thinking that Bible verse as a, you know, as iron sharpeneth iron, so the man the countenance of his friend. And that's something that you're just totally living out, which I love. And thank you for sharing that. Well, I appreciate you mentioning the Bible verse and pointing it out to me. And uh, I'm going to have to have a conversation with some of my friends from church about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know about you, and I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I believe all truth comes from God. And no matter who we are, we might pitch it a different way or live it out a different way. But I think all the, you know, gravity is always real. And one plus one is always two. And uh, what you're saying about friendship and being there for each other and helping each other grow, I think that's just how God built us. So I'm glad you grasp that and then you can separate, you know, here's the difference between being dependent on someone and here's how you grow together. And I love that you're out there not just trying to grow yourself and learning, but you're helping others. And um, as a listener, we're going to get into Max is built not just businesses for himself, but he's built businesses to help people grow. I mean, he's a coach and mentor, and he looks at what people can do to grow in their personal journey and their professional journey. So before we get into that, Max, let me ask you another question, if you don't mind. When you are looking to learn, you have, (laughs) I love talking to people like you and friends like you. Because whenever one of my main faults is to make excuses and Ben Franklin, he has that great quote that I have actually on a part of my website and I have it in my office. And it says, basically, those who are good at making excuses are usually good at nothing else. (laughs) And excuse making is something that we can all fall into, but just like any other struggle, some of us are more prone to it. When you are working with people and they're an excuse maker, what do you do to help them stop, to help them realize, listen, you need to stop thinking, you know, paralysis by analysis. You need to stop making excuses for why you can't. This is why you can. Nothing's impossible. How do you deal with those people to help our listeners out, move forward and get out of the muck and mud? Right. Well, before I answer that, I will say that what you said about the Bible is so very true. I've often said that if if God had a really good copyright lawyer, all of us would be in real trouble. (laughs) So, uh, so what, what really, when it comes to, when it comes to people who are making excuses, one, you have to, you have to show them examples of people who could make excuses, but aren't. And that's something I'm really good at because there are so many times in my life I could have said I can't, I won't, I don't, and didn't. But the real thing is you have to you have to 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 help them see something, no matter how small or insignificant it may look to me, something that's that one first step that they could actually take or do something about immediately. And usually, you may even have to. Uh, to walk them through it. You may have to say like, uh, okay, I know that you have talked about learning to fly. You live in a place that has a large enough airport. There should be somebody who offers flying lessons. And many of those people offer at least a, at least a free introductory. You may have to actually uh, 
walk them through the process of using the phone book back in the day or the internet, the website, being online with them while they're making the, while they're making the call, setting a firm deadline for them to do it if it's something that they can't do immediately. And then having, uh, having a date where they will, will get back to you for sure that they've actually taken the action. And then also setting up in advance the way that they will recognize and celebrate taking the action once they've done it. Because, uh, quite often people get overwhelmed with all the things that are between the beginning and the end of their current goal. And they think nothing, think about nothing but the final goal. And so they don't value the experiences along the way or give themselves credit for what they have done or celebrate those successes. And we have to appreciate all those moments in the beginning because in the beginning, just, you know, for example, somebody who wants to swim in the beginning, just putting one toe in the water can be a big deal for somebody. For somebody who wants to exercise more, just finding out where they put their sneakers and putting them and lacing them up for the first time in years could be something. So you just have to distill it down. What is that very smallest, littlest, tiniest thing they could do that's a beginning so that they can feel good about it? They can say they've done it. They can give themselves a pat on the back for doing it. And then they can set a little bit bigger goal for next time. That is incredible advice. And if you don't mind, that led me to a question and it led me to more thoughts I want to have you elaborate on. When I work with friends, when I work with clients, with goal setting, it goes back to what you already said, you know, having that accountability, having that friend, having that source of encouragement. Again, iron sharpeneth iron. I love what you said about how setting dates. I know this is important for everyone, but some of us more so than others. So for me, I have to set a date or things won't get done. But if I set dates, tons of stuff gets done. But this is what I'd like you to share with the listeners. When we're date setting, if there's no, I don't want to use the word threat, but if there's no loss, if there's no threat, if there's no danger, if there's no consequence, whatever words you want to use, people won't be as motivated. So what do you do, whether you're working with a person directly or whether someone's listening now and they're going to be working on their own for right now, setting their own goals, how do you help people motivate themselves to not just set a date, but achieve their goals? Right. Well, one thing you often have to do is you you often have to just say, look, if we can't meet at least this little bitty tiny goal by this date, then I'm no longer going to be able to have the time to work with you. Whether you're a friend, family member, or a paying client, if uh, if you can't even do this one smallest thing, then uh, we're going to have to discontinue for now. I will check in with you from time to time and see how you're doing. And if at some point in the future you decide you're able to set, to do this small thing, set a date, complete it, celebrate it, and report back on it to me, then we can move forward. Sometimes that's what you have to do. Sometimes, uh, sometimes personal guilt works. Sometimes people will do things for you. I'm speaking from your client or friend's position. They will do things for you that they won't do for themselves because they're more worried about disappointing you or wasting your time than they are about their own personal situation. So I've, 
I run into this myself sometimes. I will find that I have more energy to do a blog post for somebody else's website than I sometimes have to get my own podcast episode out so it will go live when it's supposed to. So sometimes you can use guilt and sometimes you can you can uh, talk with them until they find a reward, a personal reward for themselves that motivates them. But sometimes it really just comes down to going, hey, are you really invested in making this change or accomplishing this goal? If you are, this is what we're going to have to do. If you're not, then we're going to have to put, put this on pause. And when you are ready, come back to them. We'll pick it up from there. I love it. And that's truly looking out for the best interest of the guests, not just trying to be a consultant or coach and take somebody's money. I'm totally in agreement with you. One thing I was going to say too is, if you're listening out there, what Max is saying, I agree with and I try my best to live by personally and I do this with my clients. But do you ever try going to the gym? And maybe you won't get up for yourself each day, but you commit to meeting a friend at the gym. And the friend doesn't have to know more than you. The friend doesn't have to lead you. It's just that, hey, we said we're going to meet at 6 a.m. So you have that accountability to show up. That's exactly what Max is talking about. And then also, one time a friend of mine, we were had a goals and we were determined to meet those goals. And Max, have you ever done where you write a check to somebody you can't stand and you set a goal and if you don't make it, you the other person is going to mail it for you? <laughs> Um, I've never done that, but I have been in situations where um, you basically agree to do something embarrassing if you don't complete the goal. And, you know, those are also really easy to, to uh, those are usually easier to, to achieve. But, you know, we were, when you were talking about it's easier when you're a friend, another thing, if you're, if you're using the, the physical fitness uh, metaphor is a lot of people won't show up for themselves, but if their gym offers a free, um, a free appointment with a trainer and they've signed up for that trainer and they've picked a time and a date to work with that trainer, they will show up for the trainer just because they don't want to, they don't want to be the person that disappointed somebody that had them scheduled to work and then they didn't work. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let me ask you one more question on this topic before we move on. There's a saying that, uh, brother charms, charm, man, I can't tongue tied. Charles Holmesure, great friend, talked about him last season, the NBT episode. He used to have a sign all over his office that said, what's the most valuable use of my time right now? And you said at least three times during this interview, you know, you're working on the website and you're moving forward. You'll figure out the rest later. And then, you know, what, what can I do next? What's the next most important thing? Help the listener understand. A lot of people get they see this huge elephant and they've heard the term, how do you eat the elephant one bite at a time, but they don't even know where to start. How do you determine where to start? When you're looking through Max Ivy's life and all the projects you have in front of you, how do you find the most important thing? Yeah, it is difficult. And I think uh, Stephen Covey wrote some great, uh, did some great work in this area where he talked about the difference between urgent and important. And then often things that are urgent aren't important. And things that are important should be urgent. But as far as, uh, as far as planning to accomplish a goal and not, and not knowing where to start first, um, I think what you have to do is make a list of all the things that you're going to have to accomplish to get from here to there. 
And then I like to break things down into four categories because this will make a lot of these decisions easier. First, first category is, can I do something about this now? If you have the ability to act on it today, then go ahead and do something about it immediately. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't ask somebody's opinion. Just go ahead and do it. But for the things that you can't do, or let's say you're not able to do today, can you learn how to do them? Now, if you can learn how to do them, then you can sign up for a course. You can reach out to a mentor. You can, you can hire, you can hire me or, or David as your coach. You know, you can do that right away if it's something you believe you can learn. Now, if you can't do it or learn it, can you get somebody else to do it? And I phrase it that way because most people will assume, I mean, can you hire somebody? And yeah, hiring, outsourcing is great. But in my opinion, if you're sincere about wanting to accomplish a goal, there are going to be people who will want to help you either for nothing or for less than they usually charge or give you installments when they don't usually do installments. Or maybe they'll do it in exchange for something you're good at. So, and if you can get somebody to do it for you, then right away, ask them, reach out to them, start the process of make of building a relationship so you can make an ask if it's something big. And then my last group is if you can't do it, if you don't think you can learn it, if you don't have anybody right now you can get to do, for, do it for you, ignore it. Put it on a list of stuff that next week, next month, or three months from now, maybe I'll be able to do something about. But for now, I'm just going to put it over here because I can't do nothing about it anyway. Just going to ignore it. And then after you've made your four lists, start on the first section. Take action on the things that you can do something about, no matter how small they may seem. Um, because sometimes the things that you don't think are important may later turn out to have been a big deal. Uh, when I first started building an email list for my first website, I didn't know I was building an email list. I didn't know that it would eventually turn out to be a big resource for me to send out emails about new equipment. All I wanted was a way to get people to start opening my emails instead of ignoring my emails. So uh, I exchanged links on my website for, uh, for subscriptions to an email list. But at the time, I didn't know that was going to be 4,000, 5,000 emails and be a big part of my business. I just was, was trying to solve a problem at the time. So make a list of everything and don't be surprised if there are things that you don't know about yet or things that will take longer or cost you more money or be harder to accomplish. But make the list as complete as you can make it. Break it up into these four categories and anything that's in that first category of things you can do something about, take action on them immediately. This afternoon, tomorrow, no later than this week. Awesome. And let me ask you a question. I can't think of anything that I've ever accomplished in life that I knew ahead of time how to do it all. <laughs> Can you? That's the fun. That is the fun. Yeah. Yeah. People are scaring themselves out of fun because they think they have to know it. They think they have to have the roadmap all laid down. They have to have every piece of the map drawn or every every little inch of the puzzle box painted. You know, they just think they have to know it all and they're missing the fun of discovering, of leaning into their curiosity, of enjoying every moment of, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Or, hey, I didn't see this one coming. Or, you mean, wow, that's going to happen? Oh. You know, so there's so much wonder, excitement, joy, curiosity. Yeah, there's some pain. There's some mistakes. There's some 
uh, man, I hate having to pay this person for something I did that, you know, didn't turn out as well as, you know, there's all those things happen, but that's the fun of it. That's the, that's the challenge. That's the variety. You know, right now there are people around the country who are in their homes watching TV. They're trying to homeschool their kids. They're trying to keep everybody from being so bored that somebody gets hurt. Um, but who knew that this was going to happen? So a lot of people now have an opportunity. They got a lot of time they didn't have yesterday. They got three hours a day. They're not in traffic. You know, people have an opportunity to try something new, to turn something scary into something that might be fun. So what are you curious about? What are you passionate about? What have, what did maybe you do 10 years ago that you quit doing because you didn't have the time or people laughed at it or, you know, you, there was no way to ever make money off of it. This is a great time, you know, and I, I just couldn't agree with you more. When people overplan things, one, they overwhelm themselves. They make themselves scared for no reason, but they miss the fun of the adventure, of the experience, of the journey. Yeah, and maybe that's the disconnect because listening to you and listening to so many other successful guests and friends of mine, I really think it's that willingness to fail, that willingness to take the adventure and to actually enjoy it. Because, um, again, I don't ever want to put words in your mouth, but did you ever do something and it was a dumb mistake and it caused you a ton of pain, <laughs> ton of time, a ton of money, but then right now, like that, you're laughing. You look back at yourself and you laugh and then you can share with others and it's not a wound, it's a scar. It's like, hey, check out this cool scar on my face. See yeah. that? You know what I got that from? I got that from podcasting with the wrong mic and recording a whole episode without... You know what I mean? It's like the adventure, like you're saying, you go back and you can laugh about it because you learn from it. But yeah. if you're never moving forward, you can't have these experiences and you're not having that fun. It actually is really fun to fail. When you get back up, moral failures, you don't ever want to do. But when it comes to business and hobbies, man, just do it. Do it, do it, do it. And you're going to learn as you go and you can help people. So Max, you're a great example of this. And I thank you so much for not just living it, but helping us break it down. Right. Well, I was actually going to transition off of your comment about scars and wounds because, um, let's see, in September, I wanted to tell this story because I think some people get the misconception that everything I ever do turns out right eventually. Um, uh, because something, something, you, you would be the remarkable man. Yeah. Well, I've actually gotten emails from people like that. There's, who basically said they were depressed after seeing me talk on a podcast because they thought, hey, the guy never never has a bad day. He's uh, always always happy, always smiling, nothing ever goes. And then when stuff goes does go wrong, he just turns those lemons into lemon cream pie. You know, that's I've gotten those emails. So uh, well, but in, let's do this then. Right now, you yeah. can refer people to this podcast. You answer that question right now like you're going to with this story, and then you can refer them here and save yourself time. All right. I appreciate it. We'll even get the time marker later. So, uh, so, yep. it, so um, all the show notes will have your links in it too for the listeners. We'll put all your links and all your programs and all your books in the show notes. So if you're a listener and you want to learn more about Max or connect or work with him, just click in those show notes and you'll go right to him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, September of... Of 2018, I had had a couple of good speaking events, so I, I had booked uh, three events in the New York, Philadelphia, New York area in September. I was going to speak at the Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference, which is now called the Independent Podcast Conference in Philadelphia, uh, then WordCamp New York City, 
and then WordCamp Pittsburgh. And for people who don't know, WordCamp is a is a, a series of conferences for bloggers around the country to help people either with technical knowledge, motivation, or inspiration around blogging. So uh, I went to MapCom, gave, gave a very good talk on using podcasts to um, to share your story and grow your business. And I go to WordCamp, and I'm, I'm going to do a talk called uh, uh, Don't Let Fear Keep You From Your Dreams, Just Press Send. And um, on the way to New York City, I got sick. For most of the week, I couldn't talk to people, which is terrible because I love talking to people. I sometimes talk to people more than they want me to. Um, so I'm, I'm losing my voice. I'm, t- I'm, I'm living on wintergreen lifesavers and hot tea. Um, but because I can't talk, I can't sell any of my books. I can't get hired by anybody to be their, their, their online publicist or their coach. So part of my plan for this three-week adventure was to have some money coming in while I was traveling. And that obviously didn't happen because I was sick. So Sunday of the event, I, uh, I'm, I'm broke. I'm sick, so people hardly can hear me. I'm hanging out in a coffee shop in New York City, um, about to get kicked out of there and not have anywhere else to go because apparently since 9-11, New York City is not the city that never sleeps anymore. A lot of the city closes down after 10, 11, 12 o'clock because of nine, since 9-11. And so in the afternoon, I start posting on social media. I start reaching out to friends and family going, hey, this is not ending well. And eventually... Uh, one one of my friends did come forward and provided me with a a motel room for the night. Another friend came forward and purchased my train ticket back to New, back to Houston, Texas. But I was sick. I lost my voice. Uh, I couldn't sing. I, I I couldn't talk, and I was actually afraid I had done real damage to my voice. When I got home to Houston, I was so sick. My friends who picked me up at the train station wouldn't let me in their truck. I had to ride in the bed of the pickup. Um, I got wow. home and I was off balance. I mean, physically, um, I had, um, lack of, of balance because I was so dehydrated. And from this experience for the better part of, of two weeks, I basically just pulled the covers over my head and listened to cartoons on the TV and did very little work. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm taking Gatorade and I'm taking, you know, uh, antibiotics and I'm just trying to get better. But, yeah, I was really like, Max, who the hell did you think you were? And, you know, this, you should have never done this. And, you know, this is terrible. This is one of the worst things you ever did. And I'll be surprised if anybody ever wants to listen to you again, much less have you speak to their group or whatever. Uh, it took two months before I could, uh, could talk and could sing and could fill out a submission form again and could, could start reaching out to podcast hosts and could, and could start asking people about uh, doing public speaking. I had to, I had to find local groups, and I also had to change. I, for for a year, I promised myself that I wouldn't do anything where I had to leave Houston unless they paid my expenses, wrote me a check, or both. So I had to, you know, really curtail my adventurous, pretty much anything can happen approach to life. And it really hurt. And I was feeling very, very down, discussing with myself. And then a guy reached out to me. His name is uh, Chris Kermitzis. He runs an event called Podfest in Orlando, which I just came from speaking at for my second time. Um, I reached, Yep, he, that's where we met. Yeah, that's where we met. He reaches out to me. He said, he said he had said he wanted me to come speak at Podfest. I had to send him that email where I said, you know, Chris, 
at this point, I don't have the funds. I know you don't uh, you don't have an approach where you pay speakers. So I'm just going to have to say no. And, uh, you know, hopefully there'll still be a spot for me next year. So uh, I, you know, Chris had this sponsor called Himalaya who was wanting to spend a lot of money last year. And at the just after I said I couldn't come, and I don't think Chris had anything to do with it. I just think this was for, fortunate for, for me. Himalaya decided they were going to pay the expenses of, of 50 people to travel to PodFest. All you had to do was to write an email and, and convince them that they should send you to PodFest, which, you know, if you ask me to write an email to convince somebody they should send me to the moon on the next ship, I'm probably going to win that, you know, unless it comes down to just physical requirements, then I'll lose. <laughs> But uh, so so they pick me, and then I tell Chris, I'm like, okay, Chris, I got a plane ticket. I don't have nowhere to stay. And he's like, uh, we'll find you a roommate. So he found me a roommate. It turned out to be the guy who does his event location sourcing. And so I go there, and I've got, you know, I got enough money to eat and pay for my half of the room and pay the Uber stuff and get home. Um, when I left town, nobody ever asked me for my half of the rent, which turned out to be a great blessing. Um, at the event, I spoke at something called Pichu Kucha, which was a, a rapid fire five minute segments of people talking on one subject and, you know, do five or six minutes and then get off the stage. Um, I gave a great talk on the power of interdependence, how um, asking for help and accepting help from others can get you to your goals much faster. Um, Alex Sanfilippo came up to me and we became great friends. Uh, me and Zach Dimopoulos became great friends that week. Um, people responded well to my Pichu Kucha talk and, uh, I made other connections that week and I felt really, really so much better about myself that week as a gratitude thing. I got up and talked about, um, uh, about how they had kind of restored my faith in me by being part of the event. And then, uh, this year they asked me back again, or I asked them to have me back again. I'll let y'all draw your own conclusions there. Um, and I gave a talk at their podcasting school, and I did the gratitude thing. And really, uh, I know that no one person made it happen. I honestly believe that you know Jehovah God had a had a hand in this, that prayer had a place in this. That at the time when I was my lowest, thinking, you know, Max, you were maybe five minutes away from being homeless in New York City of all places to now you were standing on a stage with a microphone in your hand telling people how grateful you were to get the opportunity to speak at PodFest. And so this, uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a time where, you know, yeah, I've, I did get rescued at the end because of relationships I had built, but, you know, there was a long stretch of there from the, say the end of September of 2018 until March of 2019, where I really doubted myself, my ability uh, the contribution I could make to other people. And so I just want people to know that even though it looks like I get out of everything and, you know, things always end up great. There was this time and it wasn't too very long ago. And it was after a lot of great accomplishments in my life that had happened and basically knocked me on my ass and took me a long time to get back up. So for those of you who are stuck, who feel like a victim, who feel like you got hit so hard you can't get back up again, it happens. And it even happens to people that you look at them and you go, that guy's really killing it. It happens to people like me, and it's only through the friendship of others, through prayer, and through opportunities 
that were given to me at the exact right time for me to take advantage of them. Yeah, and you, again, you remind me of another verse. It says, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. All right, we all get knocked down, but just get back up. And you know, in the words of Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, it's not, it's not how hard you can hit, but it's how many hits you can take and keep moving forward, right? Yeah, and there's a... There's another verse that says that um, that a that that you should you should place your blows effectively so you do not swing at the air and tie yourself up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, but, let's do this then. So we. Oh, go ahead. But one of the things I love about Rocky, and I wish more people, I wish more people knew and remembered that he doesn't win in the first movie. And that he didn't want to win. That's the point of the first movie. All Rocky wanted to do was to stand in the middle of the ring with the greatest in the world and prove he belonged. He wanted to go 12 rounds and finish. Yes, it's and that's... Oh, man, you're touching a nerve here. I love Rocky. It's probably my best favorite series. If I could... If there was like 10 people in the world, Sylvester Stallone's in the top, like if not one, the top three, I'd love to sit down and have dinner with and meet and hang out with because... Rocky's not a boxing movie. It's about the heart of man. And when people watch Bo- Rocky as a just a boxing movie, they don't get it. But exactly what you said, Rocky was trying to find his own peace and his own victory and his own worth just by standing in there and going the 12 rounds, right? And don't forget the other lesson. Uh, Virgis Meredith's character tries to teach him to fight right-handed because there was a, there was a belief once upon a time that a southpaw couldn't couldn't be the champion of the world. And there's a point about three or four rounds into the fight part of that movie where Rocky basically says, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose as me. I'm not going to lose as somebody else. Yes. Oh, so good. So good. And that's the truth. You know, God gives us all different abilities, different strengths, different weaknesses, but everything has its purpose and works together. And we got to be who God made us to be, not who someone else tells us to be or who... Uh, you know, look at the presidents and Abraham Lincoln. That guy failed and failed and failed and failed. He didn't even think much about himself. He had a crazy wife. But who <laughs> could have possibly got our country through that time in history but Abraham Lincoln? So God used even his weaknesses and his flaws to save the country. So, man, well, let's do this. Hey, oh, and, go if ahead. You, and if you think about it, Look at the if for anybody who spends a lot spends much time with the Bible at all, the one thing you will learn right away is the heroes of the Bible were all weak, flawed, unqualified individuals. Very, very few of them were perfectly righteous in the beginning. For example, uh Paul was a persecutor of the Jews when he when he was still named Saul. He was the most vicious, most aggressive, most consistent persecutor of the Jews. But he gets struck by lightning. He loses his vision. He hears from God. He wakes up. He gets his vision back. He becomes the most advocate crusader for the Christian faith in the Bible. And he writes something like two-thirds of the text in the Bible was written by Paul. Yeah. And it's just the God has, there's no, <laughs> that's what's great. There's no set way. There's no, it has to be this way or this is the way it's going to be in the sense of our who we are. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, healthy or sick, tall, fat, thin, you know, muscular. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're smart, quote unquote, or non-intellectual. It God uses everybody. You just be who you are, show up and do what you can do. And great things happen. 
So Max, let's do this. We went through your past, a little bit of your background. You brought us up to 2019, and thank you for openly sharing that story. Show us we all have struggles. But from 2019 to today and where you're going in the future, bring us up to speed there. Well, um, one thing I have learned over the last two years is that while I think I would make a great coach, and the people I have helped have appreciated how I can expose their excuses and get them to take action, the one thing I've learned is, is it, is it uh, I don't know who the speaker is. There's a speaker who's famous for saying, don't try to speak to an empty room. So the one thing I've had to learn is, I would love to coach people. People don't want me to coach them as a general rule. But what they do ask me to do is something I'm very good at because I spent half my life being a promoter in the carnival business. So uh, as I started doing more and more interviews on podcasts, first friends said, hey, Max, can you tell me how you do it? And I would write them these long emails explaining exactly how I do it. And they would go, okay, Max, can you do it for me? And so I started doing it for some friends and I reached out to a couple people online and did it for some people I knew. And then people started asking me, well, you know, Max, could you, could I pay you to do this? And so over the last few years, what I've realized is that a great intersection of what I'm good at, which is asking for things for people. And that's beyond just asking for publicity opportunities. Um, is something a lot of people are not good at. It's something they want me to do. It's something they will pay me to do. And it's also, it allows me to help people who need my help and help them in a way that I'm good at for, because a a lot of people that appear to be killing it, you know, that don't appear to need any help getting exposure or telling their story, you will find out that one of the things they're not good at is they're not good at asking people for things. They lack confidence or they don't have the time, energy, or experience to do it for themselves. And it's strange how some of the the apparently most successful people are the ones who actually I end up having conversations with uh, to help them. And so I enjoy getting people on podcasts and radio shows. I enjoy helping people see the power of their story so that they can share it more effectively and so they can grow their own passion, their own brand. And just recently... I uh, connected with a couple people at PodFest. I mean, PodFest is starting to be one of those things we're going to have to go to every year as long as they have it because you just never know what amazing thing is going to happen there. Um, There was these two guys on the stage, William and Mark, and they're working together as friends and as coworkers at a research place in Florida to develop an exoskeleton that allows somebody in a wheelchair to walk and stand for short periods of time. And... These guys had command of the stage. They had 2,000 podcasters listening to them at one point. I'm when, when they told me that they would like some help getting more exposure for their work, I'm like, excuse me, am I in the right room? Are you talking to me? Because at least to me, like you just basically uh, put out a billboard ad to 2,000 podcasters, and at least two-thirds of them are going to be in fields where they would want to have you on their show. But had great conversations with them. I had one, in one case, over two hours um, in the lobby of the hotel. There were no adult beverages involved, but that was just because it was too far to the bar. Um, but, you know, <laughs> they ended up hiring me, and I'm just, I'm just looking forward to the opportunity of seeing, you know, can I get these guys on 60 Minutes, you know? But then I have people who they are writing their first book or they've, they're working on their first album or they're painting something in their basement – And they don't think that people really care about what they're doing and they need somebody to show them the power of the story to help them tell it 
and then to get them the opportunity. So I love, I love doing that. I love, and I especially love doing it with people who are in the beginning of their journey because that's the time when people quit. They quit because everybody in their circle is telling them they're crazy, that they'll never make a living from it, that they're spending too much time on it. They, you know, we miss you because you're no longer at happy hour. Those kinds of things, they all play into it. So I love getting to work with people in the beginning, seeing, seeing their, uh, their journey as they progress. Uh, my favorite current client is a woman named Adriana Gavazzoni, who I, I emailed you about because when I first got her, her first interview, she's like, Max, nobody's going to want to talk to me to where now she's used the podcast to promote her brand and she's winning international awards for her books. Now, I didn't do that. Her books are great books. She applied for the awards or the awards people found her. But her exposure, her brand, her passion, her uh, her place online, those were all helped because me and her worked together to tell her story. That's awesome. You hit on so many things. I want to back up for one second. First off, the Institute for Human and Machine Cognition, is that the company you were talking yep. about? Yeah, that's Billy and Mark. Yeah, if you come to visit, let me know. That's right in Pensacola, right down the road. So yep. we'll have to get together and have a meal, man. Yeah, well, I've I've been invited and and I you know, there was even a suggestion that if I had to, I might could stay at somebody's house and get a tour of the facility and all that good stuff, but you know, um sadly we're in this situation with corona where we're 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 having to do everything virtually again. But you know, this is actually a little bit enjoyable for me because you know, I did my first podcast 7 years ago. It was ready it was on Blog Talk Radio. I really enjoy doing these interviews. I don't have to get dressed up. I don't have to leave my house. But I enjoy the conversation so much. Plus, I have a stylist who helped me improve my look. And if I don't look good on camera, she'll come to my house and beat me down. So um, I, love, nice, I, love, nice. I love Chelsea. I love Chelsea Nguyen. She, she basically showed courage and came up to me after a speaking event and said, um, Max, I want help with uh, creating a video vault of teaching techniques for visually impaired people to do their own style and grooming. And in exchange, I want to show you how you can look more professional so you'll get more work. And just to have somebody walk up to you after a speaking event while you're hanging out doing the meet and greet afterwards, you know, very impressed with her courage. Um, she did a wonderful job on me. People said she changed me from a hoodlum you wouldn't that you wouldn't want to trust near your wallet to somebody you'd write a five-figure check to. So I really appreciate her. And so I, you know, I look forward to these. I, uh, I have, I get a lot of energy out of being interviewed or interviewing. And so us having to go back to doing everything virtual is actually kind of like going home for me. Um, I've done more interviews this week than I've probably done in the last three months, just because it's, uh, more people are wanting to do them and it's been more of a focus of mine. But, you know, if, People are out there thinking, you know, this has been this has been fun watching uh, you and David exchange your your experiences and and uh, and your stories and stuff. Trust me, it is a whole lot more fun if you sit in this chair. And I will guarantee you that every single person watching this or listening to this, every single one of you has a story, and the world needs to hear your stories. But you're probably thinking my story isn't good enough yet. Well, the last thing we need you to do is to wait until your story, until you think your story is good enough to start sharing it with the world because we need you. We need you bad right now. 
We need all these positive stories, people who have overcome things or people who know how to help people overcome things. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. And the cover of our art, I don't know if you, um, <laughs> if it's described, but you can't see the artwork, but I don't know if your reader shows it, but it shows three cartoon people and then behind them are superhero shadows. So within all of us, there's a superhero and there's a hero and there's someone who's conquered an overcomer who can't. So what Max is saying, I couldn't agree with more. I mean, it's, uh, for with, you know, with God, nothing's impossible. So I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So if yes. you're out there listening, you can do it. You can do anything through Christ. So whether you right now, we have people from all over the world and over 48 countries and different belief systems. But what Max and I are both saying is we find our strength in Christ. And we know that at the end of the day, this is a short life. Get everything done we can to glorify God, to help each other grow, and then leave the rest, like leave it all in the ring. You know, when it's done, leave it all in the ring. When you look back, don't be like, man, I wish I did this, or I should have tried, or I waited too long. Because I literally, while recording this episode, I just got a text that my friend's mom died. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, who knows when life is going to end? When's our time up? So we need to remember life's like a vapor, appears for a moment and vanishes the way. So like Max has been saying this whole interview, do it, do it, fail your way to success or succeed your way to success, but don't be afraid to start and share your story. You have remarkable story inside of you. You have value, you have worth. So let it rip. And like I said, I'll put in the show notes links to Max if you want to work with him in a coaching capacity. And if you want to ask him questions or if you just want to hang out and chat, we'll have links in there. Uh, Max, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Is there anything else you want to cover or anything we skipped about your past, the present, or the future, where you're going? Uh, no, I just want to mention one thing about um, you telling people to reach out to me. I, th- I think that often people re- people choose not to reach out to people like me and you because they think that if they're not going to hire us, they're wasting our time or if they don't have a, uh, a, a if they don't have a story, if they don't want something from us, then you know that uh, we don't want to hear from them. But the truth of the matter is, I look forward to opening my inbox every day, hoping that somebody heard me say one thing on a podcast or on my own show, and was moved to the moved by it to do something in their own lives. I love hearing from people. And the other thing is, is some people get a little cautious when they talk to me because they're worried about offending me. They're worried. Should I use certain words or not use certain words? Should I call it handicapped, disabled, blind, whatever? I personally believe that an awkward question is more valuable than the easy questions. And I would rather have you ask me an awkward question than to have you guess. Um, in general, most all of us blind people are individuals. There is no one blind person, just like there is no one Caucasian or one Asian or one or one Baptist or one Muslim. We're all individuals. So I really do hope people will, will click the links in the show notes and reach out to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's see if, as uh, David does on his website, let's see if there's some way I can help you. Uh, and it, I may not be able to help you, but... I have a large network of friends, family, and and fans, and it could be that I know just the right person 
to introduce you to. But hey, you got to ask, which reminds me, the one thing my daddy always told me, especially when I was making those cold calls trying to book our carnival and people were telling me no, he would always say, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. So no matter how small or big the ask is, go ahead, send me the email. I can't say yes if you don't ask me. And over my lifetime, I've asked for some stuff and people are like, uh, Max, do you have any idea what you were doing? I'm like, well, most of the time, no, I didn't know what I was doing or I didn't think about what I was doing. But usually I was like, doesn't cost me anything to fill out the form. It doesn't cost me anything to send them an email. I'm going to send them an email and make my ask. And I hope y'all will do the same either with me or with David or with whoever that other person is that you've been thinking about. Like early in this thing, you know, David mentioned that he would love to have lunch with uh, Sylvester Stallone. I say we reach out to Sylvester Stallone and see if we can't get him to have lunch with David. What do you say? Y'all y'all game? I'm willing to give it a shot. I mean, I've been trying to get Garth Brooks to come on my podcast because I sing The River, but he ain't doing it yet. But I mean, that doesn't stop me from asking. So I sincerely want y'all to reach out to me. If you're hearing this, if you saw something you liked, if you saw something you thought he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, we'd love to hear from you. A hundred percent. And I think people hear that so much by a lot of people who really don't care they're saying it. But Max and I both mean it. Exactly what Max said. I think you've heard me say in multiple episodes, reach out, you know, contact us. We want to help because we know people have stepped in our life and helped us. Absolutely. And we want to return the favor. And it, yeah, and it's true. There's only 24 hours in a day. We all have to invest it a different way. But if we can invest it in you, we will. Because someone took the time to invest it in us. So when we say we love you and we're here to help, we mean it. And uh, just remember that. So I'm Dave Pasqualone. This is the great Max Ivy. Max, thank you for being on the show. You truly are a remarkable man. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity, the time to get to sit down and talk with you because you're a remarkable man as well. In my family, we would refer to you as a showman, which is the highest compliment I can give somebody from my from my from my original world. And I want to make sure I let you know that I understand you put a lot of time and effort into doing this show, and you're not doing it out of a financial desire of getting rich. Very few people who have podcasts uh, are successful that way, and most have no aspirations. Most people are doing it because. They feel an obligation to help the world by giving people like me an opportunity to share our stories. So thank you for all the work you put into this and for giving me the time. So really do appreciate that. And uh, thank you. Oh, Max, no, it's been a pleasure. And I look forward to continuing our friendship. And if you come down for the uh, come down to meet with your client in Pensacola, please look me up and let's get together for lunch or dinner. So that's a great institution. Yeah. You know, I... Uh, I now know like half a dozen people in Florida, so I think when when things permit for me to go there, it's not going to be a fly-in and fly-out kind of situation. Yes, yeah. Pensacola is more like Alabama, but you will love it here. It's so nice. The If you like the beach, do you like going to the beach at all? Yeah, I enjoy the beach. I haven't been in a while, but uh, but that's because in Texas, we don't have great beaches, at least not in the Houston area. We Galveston is a rocky, more beach more for fishing than for surfing or for enjoying it as a sandy beach. And 11 months out of the year, it has a really brown, yucky color to the water, I'm told. <laughs> the interesting thing, yeah, the interesting thing is if you get on the other side of the Mississippi River, then you have white sand and blue water. And 
it's all because of the currents and the river, the river silt that's accumulating. Yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, if you come down, come on, just let me know and we'll get together, I, brother. I, but I look forward to that. I'm, um, I, what I'm working, what I'm working on in this, and you might actually be onto something there. What I'm working on is, uh, I know that it'll be harder. The coronavirus has kind of gotten in my way, but one of my big goals for the future is I want to take the What's Your Excuse show on the road. I want to start interviewing people in person where I can get more of a flavor of their 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 personal life. Um, you know, add in some video of them doing whatever it is they do. Maybe maybe get to sit down in a podcast studio with a host as opposed to doing it over the net. Uh, interview some of their friends, visit some of the local places of interest, some of the great restaurants around the country, and then turn that into a, a into a you know maybe it wouldn't be called a television show, maybe it'd be called a video podcast. But my I, my goal in my mind is being, and I've been told this is a crazy outlandish goal even by my standards. I see the what's your excuse to show someday soon, maybe in the next year, two years, depending on what happens in the world. I see the What's Your Excuse show being the first nationally syndicated television show hosted by a blind host. That's my goal for the podcast. And it's out there. It's big. And nice. it's going to mean figuring out how to record on location. It may mean hiring people to, to work with me on location. It's going to mean figuring out new technology, new equipment. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be scheduling, planning, figuring out what part of what I want to do next to tell that person's story. But that's my goal. That's where I want to take the podcast. And uh, I guarantee I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. And probably the first episode. And you'll have fun be, doing it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it. And the, the first episode will be just like the first episode of anything else I've ever done. It'll be it'll be a train wreck. There'll be lots of bloopers. But we'll leave them all in so everybody can enjoy <laughs> them along with me. That's awesome, Max. Yeah, and that's just it. You're going to jump in. You're going to do it. You're going to learn. And then once you figure out how to do it right, you'll be done. You'll start teaching other people while you go on to the next challenge. So, man, I'm so thankful we met. I'm so thankful we had time today. To you as the listener, check out the show notes. Contact Max and I if you need anything. And then like the show says, listen, do, repeat for life. We don't have that slogan because it sounds cool. It's because it's instructions. <laughs> Listen to what Max is saying. Do it. Don't just think about it. Repeat it. Consistency every day. That's how we move forward. And you'll have a great life for life. And we thank you, Max, for being here today. Well, thank have you. a great day, Max. You too. And to you as a listener, have a great day as well. You are remarkable. Bye. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life.